Think insurance is boring? Think again. Here at the Quoters Cast, we talk about all things related to the insurance industry. Some say insurance is the most powerful industry on the planet. So why not join the conversation today and discover why the Quoters Cast makes insurance super cool. Today on the Quoters Cast, we are talking to Noah Healy of Coordisc.com. Noah is the founder of Coordisc and developed CDM, Coordinated Discovery Market, which is a technology product that has the potential to completely reorder the global financial system. Here's our conversation now. I wanted to get uh, your take on this. You Number one, I, I would like you to explain... <laughs> in layman's terms, exactly what it is that you do and how that may uh, correlate with the insurance industry. Because I know it's a little off topic, but it's so fascinating. And I think you're doing something so unusual that I, I want people to appreciate what you're doing. So what what I do is algorithm development uh, and and basically strategic manipulation or, or structuring. Um, uh, I have a system for rebuilding the marketplace uh, pretty much from first principles uh, using computer technology to allow uh, better price signaling effectively. Um, existing markets are are basically about buy and sell. And while there's a little bit of information about uh, you know, future desired strike prices and so on. At at the core, people who are buying think prices should be higher and or will go higher, and people that are selling think that prices will go lower. So, in in information terms, there's sort of a maximum of one bit of information in that signal, um, and. Since people aren't perfect and they make mistakes, uh-huh. there's actually less than one bit in that signal. Uh, and so since the actual information about the economy is, in fact, a very rich signal that has an enormous amount of information in it mm-hmm. that's being constructed out of these sub one bit pieces uh, there's essentially an enormous amount of processing that has to go on mm-hmm. with the existing model. Um, okay. And that, that processing, that's, that's effectively just noise. Um, it would be like if you had a engine that you, you know, didn't oil and, and it overheated and was just, you know, frying itself through friction. Basically, that's what's going on right now. Okay. Um, insurance is, if, so, yeah, that so was wait, sort of just to, just to sum that up. So it's kind of like your algorithm is sort of streamlining all that. Is that sort of, am I okay? Uh, yeah, that's that's a that's a fair assessment. Um, the thing that's tricky is that within the current confines of the existing market structure people have an interest in effectively lying about what they really want um because you if if you can sort of fool your counterparty into taking a worse deal 
then you're better off. Right. And both you and your counterparty are in that condition. So there's the, there's sort of the worst deal that you will take and then the worst deal that they'll take and all the room between those two deals is where negotiation can happen. Um, okay. So does your algorithm work in tandem with artificial intelligence? Is that, am I on the right track there with that? Not really. So what exists, the existing AI revolution is really just based on one learning algorithm. That is the neural network learning algorithm and a handful of, of techniques for training neural networks. So neural networks are a very interesting kind of programming system that can do something called programming by example. Mm -hmm. So rather than having to write a program that can say, take in, uh, you know, things and sort them into the proper boxes by figuring out what rules exist or should exist to cause the sorting to happen, Mm -hmm. you can instead have an existing system that is sorting things into proper boxes and let the neural network watch and attempt to emulate, effectively learn how to emulate that system okay. until it does. Okay. Yes. And which is kind of what's happening now with cell phones and the technology, right? And how they track us. The that's, that's an aspect of it. Um, the with, with cell phones, like uh, error corrections on your texts, Basically, like it's it's learning, you know, people don't remember the I before E except after C rule, <laughs> except it's not thinking about it like that. It's just right. thinking about it like, you know, when when people are spelling this word, you know, neighbor with the with the I and the E in the wrong order, I'll just switch them and stuff like that. Right. OK. Uh, so you, but your algorithm sounds a lot more sophisticated than that, actually. Well, so yeah, so what I've developed is a learning algorithm that can take on board human inputs as part of the system. So it's taking advantage of the fact that in marketplaces, while, say, the two of us might have some distance between the worst deals each one of us will take and have some room to negotiate, in a broader marketplace, the two sides of the markets will tend to converge and mostly will converge on one another because there's opportunities. Marginal businesses can be created within that open space between the buyers and sellers. And so they are, and that increases the total amount of value that gets transacted through the marketplace. So if, if say, uh, eggs, if only the person who wanted eggs the most and only the person who could produce eggs the cheapest actually made eggs, then the vast majority of us wouldn't even know what an egg was. Um, but because, because there's room to fill in less efficient egg production and less you know, valuable egg consumption, there's a market for eggs that includes millions of creators and, and consumers. And your algorithm finds those. Is that correct? My algorithm effectively allows those two sides to directly negotiate with each other. 
um, over those prices at, in a way that stabilizes over time. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So since this is uh, the business that we're in is insurance, I know there is a tentative t- connection. Can you draw that line for us as, uh, as well as possible? Absolutely. Um, so the thing about insurance is that it's very much a information-based business. Yes. Um, and again, there's, there's this sort of two-sided information asymmetry. Um, an insurance company needs to have better information than each of their clients, um, pretty much on average, because yeah. otherwise they'll they'll vanish so if if you don't know what the actual probability of houses burning down are and your clients do know what the probability or know better than you what the probability of their houses burning down are uh then they will buy insurance products from you that will pay out more than you can afford and you'll go out of business i get it yes on the other hand because your client base is so large in aggregate, your entire client base actually probably does have better information about what's going on than you yourself have. And this is why insurance companies actually generally invest relatively heavily in actuaries, um, other sorts of studies, things like that. Uh, and they, they do do some, you know, client survey and things like, and such like, but Again, because of that motivated prevarication problem, if the client does know something you don't know, it's not in their interest to reveal that information to you. Right. Um, and so it's not that valuable, basically, to, to get the opinions of clients. Okay. Uh, within the strategic context of the way things presently are. Yes. But... Imagine a scenario where uh, you had a data source where people could provide information into your model for pricing things, which would give them to the degree that their information turned out to be valuable and profitable, a share of a share of your actual, uh, you know, profit stream thus providing a positive incentive for them to fess up or, or tell you what's going on. Okay, so what would be an example of that kind of information that wouldn't necessarily be that valuable for, or would be valuable for the insurance company from the clients? Well, at the, at the most naive level, um, you'd be talking about setting up a pricing model. Uh, and so with, with my system, that's effectively what you do. One of the, one of my insights is that prices aren't really valuable in and of themselves because time marches on and as time moves on, everything changes. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, one possibility would be setting up your pricing model as a change over time of, of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, with insurance, there might be other things where you'd be weighting different uh, aspects of the system. So there might not be a single pricing model, but in the health insurance context, there might be different weightings of 
exercise or weight or habits, drinking, smoking, those types of things, um, you know, having a large or a small family, stuff like that, uh, yeah. which might be the kind of thing that uh, either for external general comment or as an internal tool for identifying and rewarding super predictors within your own organization um, could be used to bring together multiple points of view into a coordinated uh, uh, view of the system while simultaneously recognizing and rewarding people who are making disproportionately valuable contributions towards, towards that model. Okay. All right. So to that point, um, I'm not exactly sure how they do it, but I do know uh, most, especially the the larger insurance companies, do have pretty expansive uh, data collection software and and procedures and collecting all that. So is our insurance companies or the insurance industry, is that a potential uh, client for you or or where you would want to pitch your algorithm? How how do you see that uh, gelling? Uh, it's, it's certainly a possibility. Um, I actually have my sights on slightly higher fare. Uh, really? With like commodity what? markets. Oh, commodity. So, ah, yeah. okay. Commodity markets. Yes. <laughs> okay. So that's, that's tens of trillions of dollars in right. transacted good flow a year. And something like the CME group notionally handles a quadrillion plus dollars in, in trade, um, yeah. just because of the way leverage works in the system. Uh, my system uh, would allow a, a massive collapse of that, and and that's sort of the biggest fish in the sea. So, since they're all pretty much equally difficult to to fish for, right. uh, I might as well go for the whale first, and then and then pick up anything else. Uh, but I'm open, and and hope other people would also be open to new opportunities, right. uh, and. The marketplace system is actually the more complicated version of of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're interested in acquiring knowledge from a disparate network, um, you can use a simplified version of this technique to either commit a bounded amount of, of money to the pursuit or a bounded amount of money per information to the pursuit uh, such that error signals will, will effectively cancel themselves out of the system uh, and allow you to gather information from a large source group uh, at controllable costs. So it almost sounds like you're describing commoditizing intent. There's a certain extent to that. So the way I would actually put it is uh, pricing transaction costs. Okay, uh, but, it, but well, pricing transaction costs, it doesn't sound like what you just described as uh, sort of hard costs, meaning like, um, you know, if you're going to make a salad, you need lettuce, tomato, and, and say onions. But it sounded more like you were describing, uh, you know, the intent of the human beings behind the desire to want those items of the salad that so yeah so i'm talking about transaction costs in the cosian sense um so uh 
I'm pretty good with words, but that one just. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember his first name. It's like Arnold, maybe. Uh, so there's this economist named Coase who actually did some work here at UVA um, in Charlottesville, Virginia. Okay. Uh, back in the early part of the 19, 1900s. And the, the problem that they were dealing with was effectively where, why, why do businesses exist? Right. Okay. Um, if marketplaces are sort of super efficient and make great decisions and human beings are sort of super inefficient and make bad decisions, why do we have these businesses that are run by human beings making these bad decisions? And so Coase comes up with this concept called transaction costs that, okay, sure, something like the New York Stock Exchange is awesome and is telling everybody the right answer to everything all the time. But there's a cost to using a marketplace, to setting it up, to actually paying attention to it, to, to you know, making the errors and so on that, that go into that. And so what my system does is allows you to price, basically decide a fixed value for that set of incohate costs that are associated with transaction. And so the the notion of transaction costs is that people actually running businesses and making decisions works out because most of the decisions we make don't matter very much. If I put cucumbers into the tomatoes in my salad, maybe I won't like it as much, but the the cost of setting up a you know, New York Stock Exchange style marketplace to figure out how to make my lunch is going to be so disproportionate that the amount more that I would like my lunch is just not worth the effort. Um, So I can go ahead and make these relatively small and minor choices like where to explore for oil in the Midwest and things like that on, on my own. Um, without having to set up an entire complex market system to make those choices for me. Uh, However, again, thanks to computer technology and this this sort of mathematical formalism, um, decisions that you may right now be making informally or or just off the cuff um, might be valuable enough and might be cheap enough using systems like this to be able to set up these these relatively low cost markets to allow them to be made in a integrated joint fashion and consequently better. Okay, so it almost sounds like you've um, created an algorithm that eliminates uh, trial by error. You know, like... um, Well, I wouldn't go nearly that far because the information still has to exist within the population. So if you're, if you're out in the, if you're out in the weeds, people are going to have to be trialing by error. However, um, if you, if you have such a system, you might be able to set up a reward structure that could distribute the trial and error. And okay. Now I think I'm getting it. This is really complex. All right. So it's almost like you could, I could buy, let's say I wanted to start um, a salad company and, but I have no idea how to do that. Your algorithm could find the information on what it would take and the likelihood and the stats 
before I even started got funded for it to uh, to see what it would take to to start it and run it. Am I? Is well, it, and I'll, I'll caution you again. So my algorithm is a way to pay for information from the system. So uh, it's not free. It's it's a way to create the incentives that will cause the the desired outcomes you're looking for. Um, okay. So that that could be information. Um, so you might be able to set up such something like this in order to learn more about how to start start up a business. Um, you might be able to learn more about how to operate your business or, or learn more about or build essentially a, a better business brain. It could also be a, a certain stopgap against, uh, uh, you know, succession issues. So one of the things that happens in companies that get to be more than a few people is, is you get this concept of bus number where, Certain people are critical, and if they got hit by a bus, then you know the company'd be in a lot of trouble. Right. Um, if you have these kind of federated decision models, um, then even people who are in relatively important positions can become less critical, and the company can have some continuity out of that. Uh, but I think the most important thing is that the these sort of better decisions that are made by markets aren't aren't this mysterious force or, or a pure freebie. Um, the fact is that more we can, we can use systems like this and we've been using systems like this for centuries to combine multiple human brains into sort of super intelligences. Mm -hmm. So the things that people are talking about with AI now about the, prospect for transforming different parts or different industries um, are available to us because we already have access to super intelligences. Okay. We know that we can get multiple human beings together on a problem that's reasonably specified to make decisions that would be better than any of the people involved in that system can make on their own. And so if you're in a business and finance is very much one of these kinds of businesses where consistently better decision-making is going to be a game changer mm -hmm. uh, then building out these sorts of systems becomes a, a strong potential competitive advantage to, to hold over other people that don't build such systems. Right. Okay. Uh, I think I've got it now. Um, so at what point in sort of the market process do you see your algorithm fitting? Is it close to the beginning or more near the end? So my algorithm is a price discovery mechanism. Um, so it's sort of right smack dab in the center. It uh, the, the marketplace is essentially a place where buyers and sellers come together. My observation is that that's an oversimplification um, and that a deal not only requires the, the good or service or whatever and the cash, but it also requires the information, that intent you were talking about, where the two sides each have their information about how this is in their interest. Right. And 
One of the things about now is that we currently understand information itself to be a physical process that we can measure and transmit and so on. And so what I propose is a three-sided marketplace with a dedicated product space that effectively acts as a sort of clearinghouse and aggregates together many, many sellers, a dedicated consumption space, which again is aggregating many, many buyers, and a third dedicated forecasting or negotiation space, which is aggregating the intents of buyers, sellers, third parties with inside information, and anybody else that happens to, you know, feel that their opinions are worth backing up. Well, now this is getting really fascinating. So (laughs) it sounds also that there could be you know, like any good thing, there's also the potential for a downside. And so what do you see that happen in the wrong hands? How do you see it going wrong? Um, well, so in the one hand, there are limits on any kind of technology like this. We can't predict the future because sadly, that's not how philosophy works. <laughs> you can't predict the future. Mm-hmm. Um so this needs to have recovery mechanisms for when everybody's wrong at the same time. And this does have recovery mechanisms for that. Um, essentially what happens in that case is that the forecasting market adjusts its cost to buy in. So when, if this market goes off the rails, it becomes much less expensive to correct it than it was to push it off the rails in the first place. And the people who come in and sort of white knight and save everything get a windfall profit as a result of having pulled things back onto course. Um, Okay. However, um, speaking sort of to the other thing, since what this is doing is creating super intelligences, um, all of the downsides of super intelligences that show up in, in debates around AI, uh, right. which can become quite hyperbolic, uh, or in science fiction or even modern fiction these days is, you know, AI and robots are becoming more and more popular. Mm-hmm. Um, but even just, we have centuries of experience with the markets themselves, um, if decisions and important decisions are being made by a system that's more intelligent than any people, then decisions are made in ways that can't really be back-checked or understood by the people that are, that are going into them. And so there's a, there's a bravery requirement, if you will, Mm. Um, and, and, and a certain amount of faith, um, that, that you have to, you have to trust in the mathematics and, and sort of play the, play the long game that getting better decision-making, um, means that you're not always going to agree with or understand the decisions that are made. Uh, Mm. and this, this shows up. Um, even among people, uh, there are there are numerous games of skill and strategy uh, 
mm. which have become popular enough to be, you know, generally uh, televised. And so right. they have commentators and the commentators do what they can. But if they could understand what was going on in the game, they'd be playing it. They wouldn't be telling <laughs> us about it. Right. Um, and so there's there's in in world chess championships there's actually been a, an interesting development over the last decade um, where for about a century it was the case that the commentators on the on the game couldn't really understand the games in many cases right but now we have these chess AIs that are much much stronger than human players right and so the commentators now have access to the chess AI telling them what good or bad moves are. So they, they have access to better information than the people playing the game, but they are so they're not good enough to actually understand what the AIs are saying. So they, so a move gets made, the AI tells them that it's a good move. They try to figure out why a human being might have missed or seen something there. Right. But, their knowledge and the player's knowledge is mismatched. The players may or may not have seen it. Um, and they may, may or not be thinking about the way that they're thinking about things. So these sorts of issues are, are, are very much a part of, of the adoption of these kinds of technologies. All right. Okay. All right. Um, so it sounds like quite brilliant in what you're doing, but it also sounds like it could be quite dangerous or go off the rails. And I know you mentioned that there are sort of stop gaps and, and things in place, but as we've seen with most technology, there always seems to be some type of hack or workaround. Is, is, do you see a potential there for, for somebody to be able to, or a group of people to get in and, and really corrupt it? That would be extremely difficult because at the core, it's very simple. This system is actually only about 300 lines of code. Um, the, the system is actually uh, by construction in the common interest of all parties. Um, and another thing to bear in mind is that we aren't going from sort of people to a super intelligence. We're going from the super intelligence that we have right now, existing markets, which are breaking down because they are being forced to process more information faster than they're really capable of doing. The, right. the market algorithm is what's known as a red queen's race. Basically, the amount of work you have to do is slightly more than the amount of work there is to do. And so as we get faster and faster computers, markets are actually functioning worse and worse. And this is something that we see in the news almost every day now. Um, So what we have is a society we've built on marketplace decision-making with markets that are degrading because of the technology that we've developed and a society that depends on good market decision-making so that, you know, we can get our eggs. Right. Um, right. So the, the real issue is that we effectively have to transition if we want to maintain 
this kind of this kind of advanced society, which you know, frankly, most of our lives depend on. Wow. Okay. Well, we, I only have a few minutes left here, but this has been um, this has been really interesting. A lot to think about. And so just one last question, and um, uh, I guess it's about the insurance industry, because I do want to connect that. Um, with all the data that's collected, a lot of it biological, do you see a way for your algorithm to sort of um, uh, track or um, can be used for biological or physiological purposes? Um, it definitely could be. Uh, so information is information. Uh, and this is, this is a way to, to make efficient the gathering integration of information from multiple, you know, source inputs. Right. Uh, so, so that's, that's a definite possibility. Um, the, those, those systems are really in their infancy and um there are other issues uh with things like privacy and so on uh, right. which right now the younger generation doesn't seem to care about uh <laughs> but that may or may not turn out to be a a good decision right. uh, i've pointed out on other podcasts that for the majority of human existence uh most people lived in environments where they enjoyed significantly less privacy than we have today. Because if you're living in a tribal structure or a village structure, everybody knows everybody's business. Um, But what's very, very different is that reciprocity was a foundational part of that type of a system. So Um. the, the tribal leader knows everybody's business, but everybody also knows his business. Um, so, for example, there was the case of Elon Musk uh, uh, throwing people off Twitter for outing geolocation and his statement, you know, I have security concerns. Well, everybody has security concerns and Twitter literally knows where its user base is because when you're tweeting, your phone knows where you are and it's telling people, telling them where it is. So, um, you know, that reciprocity is, is, is going bye-bye and that may or may not turn out to be safe. All right. Yeah. No, I don't think so. All right. I would love to be able to uh, follow up with you and, and follow your work a little bit and see, uh, you know, how things develop for you, Noah, if if you don't mind, I would love that. So and I wish you all the best of luck on it. And so if is there anything else you want to add at this point? Uh, no, uh, thanks. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, I'd love to follow up at some point. Uh, this was great. Excellent. Thank you. And, and I'll make sure that uh, all your links and all the information are, are uh, connected to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, so coordinated discovery, cord disc. Thank you, Noah. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye now. You've been listening to The Quoters Cast, where we make the insurance industry super cool.